We come to the last day of our series on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol that we have been using to ask the Lord to show us what's in His heart about His complete idea of repentance. The repentance into which He steps into and heals our past and our present and grace for the future. Okay? I'm going to take just a moment because we only have that time. And we may go just a little bit over today, but this is too important not to conclude. How's two o'clock? Two o'clock good? (laughs) What I'm going to do very quickly is bring us up to speed as to where we are and where we begin today. So far up to this point in the Charles Dickens novel, The Christmas Carol, we have witnessed the partner of Ebenezer Scrooge, who'd been dead for seven years, showing up in his bedroom with a call to repentance. It's a call to repentance that comes from what Jacob Marley's soul is having to deal with for eternity. And that is that when he lived his life and had the power to help those who were suffering, he did nothing. So he was condemned to wander the world, now having his eyes wide open to the suffering of everyone around him everywhere that he goes, but now having nothing to do with that. He can't do anything for it. And so it plagues him for all eternity. And he's got the chain that he forged in life because of that. The first ghost was the ghost of Christmas past. Scrooge is shown, if you remember, why he became the lesser true human person as God created a human person to be. We see the why. And if you remember, Scrooge's mother died at childbirth. Scrooge's father blamed him the rest of his days. And Scrooge grew up with a father who didn't want him and no mother to tend. No parental, certainly no positive and healthy parental upbringing. We also see Scrooge make choices that deny himself the offering of himself for the sake of love. He denies himself marrying Because business becomes more important. Stature, accumulation, materialism becomes more important than the sharing of love. And so he misses out on that, plus the possibility of loving and and sharing his love upon his own children would never happen. So he looks at his choices, and he looks at what has happened to him. And what we remember for ourselves is how incredibly important it is to bring our past before God. All of the things that have happened to us, all the things that have been done to us, all the ways that we've suffered because of life itself, and our consciences burdened by the choices we've made, to bring them all as part of repentance from our past into the present before Christ, so that He may deal and lavish His love and His healing upon us and make us new again. The second ghost was the ghost of Christmas present. Ebenezer Scrooge is given a glimpse of two things. One, he's given a glimpse of the present sufferings of this world. He sees it in the home of his employee, Bob Cratchit. He doesn't pay him near enough. And he sees one of his children, Tiny Tim, who's lame. And he asks the ghost, what's going to happen to Tiny Tim? And the ghost says, if nothing changes, I see a crutch alone. 
In other words, the child will die. We start seeing the beginnings of compassion come into him. There's a breaking that's happening in him. It's not done yet. But it begins with the ghost of Christmas present. And he also has given the glimpse of this beautiful scene of community and fellowship and joy and love that he has denied himself all of his days. All of these things in the present he is missing and he's being shown it. And so today we come to the third ghost. The ghost of Christmas yet to come. This is the one that the other two ghosts, if it were, they were chipping away at the ice in his heart. This is the one, this is the ghost that brings it all together and Ebenezer Scrooge comes to true repentance. So here's what I'm going to show you. I have to skip a little bit for time's sake. So I'm going to take you to a scene. We skip a scene where the ghost of Christmas yet to come takes him into some of the people he did business with. And you see what their impression of Scrooge was. Okay? Which wasn't very high. Okay? But I now take you to the rest of the scenes. And we see what happens to Scrooge. Take a look and ask yourself this question. What is it in the ghost of Christmas yet to come that God is trying to write on our hearts to bring the fullness of repentance into our life that we too can have that repentance and the joy that comes from it? Would someone get the lights, please? Good. I haven't seen. 
Don't not ask me how I came by these. Every person has a right to take care of himself. That's my motto. Oh, hey, uh, uh, I use the words for the loss of a few things. Mm. Not a dead man, I suppose. No, indeed. I mean, if he wanted to keep him after he was dead, the wicked old screw, why wasn't he more natural in his lifetime? If he had been, he'd have had someone to look after him when he was struck with death. Uh, instead of lying there, gasping out his last, mm. alone. Yeah. By himself. Hey, hey. These are my things. She's stolen my things. I have it before a magistrate. What do you call these? Big curtains. You don't mean to say you took them down. Rings are gold. With things. Why not? <laughs> and don't get wax on his blankets. His blankets? I hope he didn't have anything catching. <laughs> I wasn't so fond of him as I'd loiter about if he did. <laughs> 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 Last few evenings, Mother. 
minutes. By the things you have shown me, the shadows of the things that will be. By the shadows of the things that may be only. these different scenes by the way is George C. Scott not wonderful in in this role it's a blessing to watch because he really does convey what Scrooge is going through so the first scene that I showed you the ghost of Christmas yet to come brings Ebenezer Scrooge if you notice it was into his own bedroom and you know he knew this what's on the bed A, a, a covered lifeless body but I want you to notice what does he do with that at that point what's that but then he does what he refuses to look Ebenezer Scrooge is not yet willing to face his mortality which turns out we'll get to in a minute to be One of the greatest gifts that changes his heart. But at that point, he refuses to look at his mortality. Don't raise your hands on this question. How many of you are just like that? How many of you keep your mortality that should be in our mind's eye at a distance? Ask yourself why. We're going to talk more about that when we get to that end scene. But Ebenezer Scrooge, you can see, and, and Dickens writes it into his book, the denial 
of accepting his mortality. He wasn't ready yet. The second scene was the selling of Scrooge's stolen goods after his death. It's actually a funny little scene, but it's also a very sad little scene. This woman had basically stole his stuff and was looking to make some money hawking it. And what do you hear from her? What is Scrooge's legacy in the eyes of the people? What's his legacy to this point? Four pounds. He died alone. <laughs> yeah. What's that? He died alone with, with no one really caring for him. Alone? No one? She calls him an old screw? This is his personality. He's beloved by no one. And that's what Scrooge has shown in the scene I did not show you. But also in that one, you see the legacy being left behind at this point in time. We come to the home of Bob Cratchit. He has to be shown tenderness, and he is, but what is he shown in the home of Bob Cratchit? What do we see? What's that, Joshua? Tenderness for somebody else. Yeah, he's, he does have tenderness for somebody else. What had happened? Yeah. Death of Tiny Tim. What else is he witnessing? What is he feeling? The family sadness, the father's loss. Probably guilt too. Yeah. Because remember in last week, when we saw that same family, we saw their struggle, we saw their suffering, and he began to have compassion. Now he's fully entering in more with the compassion of the family that has this great loss. Greater compassion is growing within him. And so now we come to the grave. What is the final key that puts it all together that brings Scrooge to the completed repentance so that he can be healed from his past, present, and be given a completely different future? What is the key? The grave. The grave, which is what? grave. Covered in dirt. Yeah. It's his what? His death. His death. His mortality. He sees all of these things that he never did, couldn't do, and abstained from. He sees the suffering. He has seen all of these different things. He's seen his past suffering in his own life. And now he is shown that he's gone. With no way to have amendment of life. Would you say that some fear got into him? Some appropriate fear. My friends, I will tell you this. You've, you've heard us talk about this, and there are many services, Ash Wednesday and many other services, that point us. The church has always taught us to take our mortality and keep it here. The monastics do it all the time. They go and visit the bones of the deceased monastics to know where they're going. Their bodies. And what do you think that does for them? What does it do? Yes. Well, they know that they're going to die anyway, so they don't worry about things keeping them alive. Yeah. What else? Yes, Emmanuel. Puts mortality right in the face. Yeah. And how does that impact them, do you think? It allows them to bear the suffering they're currently going through. Yeah. It allows them to bear their suffering. I'm looking for one thing. There's a number of things, and y'all are all right. Yes. Aaron? It 
it reminds them of the kind of riches they can and can't take with them. Okay. Yes. I say carpe diem, uh, that every day is a gift <coughs> fully. When, Julie, go ahead. It reminds them that their time is limited. Yeah. I'm sorry. I want somebody in this room to sit here and tell me how many days you've got left in your life. How many moments? Tell me. Do you know? I don't. It's God's time, not ours. That's right. And we are given this time to be in Him and He in us. That we might be saved. The monastics, when they see their brother's bones, it drives them into the loving arms of Christ. It drives them to prayer. It drives them, it presses them into the very love of God that would heal their soul so that when their body fails, joy, paradise. Our mortality is the biggest gift from God in His mercy. And if we will see it correctly, if we will take this gift that God has given and walk in it in the moments, not the days, the moments of our life, it will thrust you into Christ as you have never been before. And you will experience the Lord Jesus Christ as you have never done before. We do not know the blessed moment. Is D here? Yes. D. We were just talking about this the other day at your house. About Rex. Yes. Rex wouldn't take a nap, people. He woke up somewhere else. Thought about Pat Adams. She sat down to watch a TV show mid-afternoon. Ended up somewhere else. Where are all my youth? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Because this has nothing to do with age. Youth, listen to me. If you will let God's gift of your mortality be in front of you at this blessed age, and you have to, huh? because you don't know how long you've got either. None of us do. Let it push you into Christ. And I want to talk about something we talked about Wednesday at noon Mass. And by the way, you know, you do know the theme. There is a mortality theme in Advent. We are awaiting the second coming of Christ, by the way, that no one knows the day that it's going to happen. And that's kept before us through the entirety of Advent. And on the ember day of Wednesday, which is the Wednesday, this last Wednesday in that Mass... You've heard the parable, so for example, of the, the ten virgins and the oil. The call to have oil on your lamp because you don't know when the bridegroom is going to come. And you better see him so you don't miss him. So live in such a way. Fan into flame the gift of your salvation that you've been given. Well, we had this from our Lord Jesus Christ from St. Luke in chapter 12. Listen to his words. The very words of Christ. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open immediately to him. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have sit down to eat with them and will come and serve them. 
And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them, so blessed are those servants. But know this. If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What's Jesus saying? Get your mortality in front of you. You don't know. You don't know the day that the Spirit will leave the body. You don't know the day of Christ's return if it returns before that day. We don't know these things and we are constantly deceived by a culture, and i got to say this, a culture of Christianity in this nation and around the world that wants to numb us to such thoughts, to think it's morbid to think about our mortality when it's the greatest gift we've been given by God. By which we can experience Him in our lives in such a way, in a very profound way that we've not yet done because we haven't had our mortality there. And on that same Wednesday, we have to talk about, I ask you, do you see fear? Did this produce fear in him? We need to talk about fear. We need to talk about the fear of God. And I'll tell you why we need to talk about it. Because every blessed soul in here, including my own, has such a poor definition of the fear of God. It's been bent. It's been mistaught. It's been misunderstood. And yet the fear of God runs rampant through Holy Scripture. All over the place. And do we ignore it or misunderstand it or have been taught wrongly about it? So here's the challenge that I have for you. And that is to seek the Lord and ask Him, what is the fear of you? Now I'm going to give you some things. But every one of us, because we come from so many different directions, thinking about the fear of God. I mean, some of us come from those Protestant backgrounds that's still ingrained with the Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hand of an angry God, just mess up once and eclipse it and there you go into the fire. This is not godly fear. This is not the fear of God. May I take you through some scriptures? Because almost every scripture that talks about the fear of God has a promise that comes along with it. Not a lot of people know that. You've heard from Proverbs 9, the most popular, the fear of God is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Wisdom. Okay, so there's one. But let's go beyond that. Psalm 31. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. Psalm 112, praise the Lord, blessed is the man that fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Proverbs 10, see if you continue to hear the promises. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked are shortened. The hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. Another one, Proverbs 19. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in its satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. I'll give you one final one from Psalm 34. 
The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them and rescues them. Now, I don't know what your impression of the fear of God is, but this sounds like something good. This sounds like something to be craved. Subdeacon Sam? Uh, you can, I think you can transpose love for the word fear. In, in, each, in each thing that is fear, it's those that love Him, that He loves us. Mm-hmm. That is true. But that same love of God, the agape love that none of us can comprehend, is a fearful thing in the most holy way. Because if you look at that, and I love it, uh, the, the Sinai Christ, the big one in the middle, on the one side you see the love of God reaching out to you by the expression on His face. On the other side, the same person, Jesus Christ, every soul will go before for judgment. Everyone, right? Love and judgment are not separate. In fact, they are so together. Because He judges in righteousness and and perfection. And so you are right. As long as we keep both in harmony. Every one of those scriptures that I shared with you has a promise of God with it. And I'll say something else. As you pray about the fear of God and how we should live before God with a righteous and holy fear, I want to give you a discernment point. How do I know whether I'm on the track of understanding the love of God in a whole I mean the fear of God in a holy way or one that is destructive to my soul? And here's how you discern it. Godly fear. Fear of God, the holy and righteous fear of God, that which is produced in us by the working of the Holy Spirit within us, it will always drive us into Christ. It will drive us into the love of God. And it will keep us there when we've obtained it. You see? Godly fear drives us to God. Satanic fear. And I label it satanic fear because it is there is no other. It will scare you away from God. It will create shame in your life. It will cause you, like Adam and Eve, to hide rather than respond to the voice of God calling for you because He wants to heal you out of His love. Do you get the difference? When you examine this idea of the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, prolonging life, and all of these different things... You've locked on to the healthy fear of God if it's pressing you like never before into Him. But if it's driving you away, it's satanic and wrong, and you need to come talk to me. Because we need to reshape this. Hmm? That makes sense. You're going to see in just a moment how this righteous fear that gets into Scrooge. And remember, it was a buildup of healing from past, healing from present, eyes being opened up to present, and now the fear of his mortality, knowing the condition of his soul at that moment. It presses him into a complete transformation of human person. You get that? 
That's how you discern the difference between godly fear. Now, shall we watch the transformation of a soul? Yes. Let's do. Life.
I come for three reasons. First, to beg your pardon for the things I said about Christmas. That was our love country. What's it? Mm-hmm. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. Same lady. I'm coming to meet your wife. Oh, there she is. She's a very beautiful woman, she is too. Thank you. I, uh, I was in love once. Would you believe that? Yes. But I possess neither the courage nor the optimism. Perhaps the depth of feeling that you two have. Thirdly, if the invitation to dine with you today is still in force, I accept. Of course it's still in force. Hurrah! I'm sure that one day. You were sure of looking out. Apparently you were right. <laughs> yes, I should like to dine with you and your friends. You'll be more than welcome. You like games, don't you? Yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Uh, you're very uh, similar. <laughs> It's one of our favorites. Quite possibly. I'm very glad. And should the phrase tighter be thrown out, the answer is uh, a drum. Why, yes, so it is. Good. I'm afraid of saying this, but I see the shadow of my sister in your face. I'd love to know that friend. For a time there, I. Forgot just how much I loved him. Perhaps I chose to forget. Well, now, it isn't much trouble. I should like to start with some of that punch which was famous. Of course. You've made us both very happy, Uncle Ebenezer. Have I? Yes. God forgive me for the time I wasted. Yes, I think you are. Set this way, sir, if you will, please. 
It's only once a year, sir. To charm up your repeater. I was making rather merry yesterday. Hmm. But, uh, my friend, I'm not going to stand for this any longer. Therefore, therefore, I'm going to double your salary. <laughs> Double my salaries. <laughs> 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 <A> Merry Christmas. <laughs> I'll double your salary for a start. Now never to assist your family in any way again. And Tim, Tim will walk again. And grow stronger and stronger upon my life. He will. <laughs> but we'll discuss the particulars this afternoon over a Christmas bowl. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Nothing, <laughs> <laughs> oh, It's just... Nothing. Thank you, sir. My good Make up the fire before we freeze to death. Buy some more coal! Before you dump another eye, Bob Cratchit! Yes. transformation. Talk to me about his transformation. He went from what to what? What did you see? Joy. From what to joy? Very bitter. Very bitter to joy. Alone to what? Fellowship, communion. Acceptance, love, giving and receiving. He went from being stingy to what? Nothing I have is mine. It belongs to the ones who need it. And making up for lost time on what he should have done, both community and with his money. He also said he felt light as an angel, which implies that he was more like a devil. Uh, and heavy. Yeah. Oppressed. That's a good, good, good catch. Absolutely. It would be fun to go just grab a huge wad of cash and go walk around on Christmas and just hand it to Yeah. <laughs> But what is it that was the point? And this is Dickens' point. By the way, if you ever read about Dickens' life, this is his story. Not to the extreme, but he so wanted transformation in his own life. This came from his own soul, his own longing, recognizing where he was. But what is it for us and what we see there? What is it that creates the transformation the gift of repentance. And those three dynamics, 
are all included in the fabric of a life of repentance where Christ is now dwelling in us. One is taking to Him our undealt with sufferings and pains for healing. Our poor choices up to this part in our lives and bringing it to Him and letting Him come into the past and heal and bury what needs to be long buried. It's about letting the Holy Spirit show us in the present those sins of omissions, those missing the mark. And remember what the mark is, the nature of Christ. We have been given the Holy Spirit to become participators in the nature of Christ. Anything short of that is missing the mark. It's allowing Christ to show us so that He can bridge the gap with Himself in us and make us new like Him. And finally, it's keeping the godly fear of our mortality in front of us on a daily basis. And all of that together drives us into Christ and anyone that goes into Christ and anyone that pursues Him and anyone that asks for healing gets the healing of soul. Bar none. To help you understand repentance on a more dynamic fashion. Maybe that you haven't thought about it before. Because that was the goal, to expand. Because all of these teachings are in the church. Everything that we see, past, present, and the future... Every one of them is taught throughout the 2,000 years of the church. If we will walk in it, each one of us will not only experience the same... I mean, when you see George C. Scott transform into joy, you can't tell me that in some part of your life, you're sitting there going, I, I want that. I am. And the way to it is repentance in the way that we've been shown this Advent. Hmm? Let's stand.